Good morning. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Hi, I'm Pastor Glenn Schaefer of St. James Lutheran Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Thank you for joining us on this, the fourth Sunday of Easter. Yes, we're still celebrating Easter, and we'll be doing so for the next three weeks or so. Uh, But today is a special Sunday within the Easter season. The fourth Sunday of Easter is always known as the Good Shepherd Sunday. And so if you've had a chance to look at the worship service, you'll notice that a number of the hymns that we're singing today focus on Jesus being our Good Shepherd. And in fact, the scripture passages focus on that as well. And so I pray that you'll be deeply enriched by knowing that Jesus is your shepherd and that you are his lambs, his sheep. This is also a very special day for us at St. James Lutheran Church because it was on May the 4th in 1930, so 90 years ago, that the Constitution of St. James was signed by five men of the congregation and St. James officially came into existence. And so this is really the birthday of uh, St. James. And so if you are watching online, this would be the appropriate time to, you know, hit one of those emoji buttons that shows like a heart or a little birthday signal or something fun uh, as we thank God, maybe a high five or whatever you can do. I'm not sure what emoji buttons are available to you, but whatever it is, something celebrative, click it right now and just, you know, say, give your alleluias and amens up to the Lord for him blessing this church for 90 years. And we will be offering up a special prayer later today in this service, and we'll be also singing a hymn uh, focused on the church and God's blessings of the church and how we've been blessed by, our, by him in this church. So, our first reading for this Good Shepherd Sunday is from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading is from Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel for this Good Shepherd Sunday is from John chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, 
That man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have life abundantly. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Well, grace and peace and joy is yours through Jesus Christ, our risen Lord and Savior, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. The text that I've selected for this morning's message is actually another reading that is appointed for this Good Shepherd Sunday. It's from 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 19. It's printed in your bulletin for you, so you may follow along if you would like. This is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is our text. In the name of Jesus Christ, our good shepherd, dear fellow sheep, weary of isolation, scared of economic hardship and the inability to pay the mortgage or the rent or the car payments, or the credit card, and in some cases even finding it difficult to put food on one's table, frustrated by the difficulty to get an unemployment check, citing infringement of civil liberties, a simmering angry anger is boiling over into demonstrations all across the United States from the shores of Huntington Beach in California to the, to the halls of the Michigan legislature in Lansing to the streets of Richmond, Virginia, protesters all across the land, many of whom who are without face masks and spurning social distance guidelines and in some cases even bearing arms, are letting their governors know that they've had enough. They're tired of being under what they call house arrest. They want to get back to work. 
They want to be able to visit their aging parents. They want to be able to socialize with their family and friends. They want to be able to have their children go back to school. They want to be able to worship in their sanctuaries. And then there's others who are irritated and exasperated with these protesters who they surmise fail to comprehend the deadly threat that the coronavirus still poses to us. What don't you understand, they think? There are already 65,000 Americans who have died as a result of the coronavirus. There's over 1.1 million Americans who have, been, have had confirmed cases. We need some short-term pain for some long-term gain. How can you put the almighty dollar ahead of a human life? How can you flout the guidelines enacted to protect us and put people at risk? We need to have some of our civil liberties curtailed for a time. All for the greater good. Or the second wave of the coronavirus will be even worse than the first. And no matter which side you take, Many people are looking for someone to blame, to blame for this pandemic, to uncover the errors of judgment and the failed policies that exasperated the problems, and let's get a pound of flesh. And then, of course, there are many who are in between those those polarities. But yes, the pot is simmering, isn't it? In fact, it's even boiling over in some cases. And that's why I decided to chuck the sermon I had written and wrote this one that you're about to hear. I wrote it yesterday. How do we as Christians experience and react to suffering, especially unjust suffering? I mean, I think St. Peter's words are quite instructive for us in these times. Now, St. Peter is addressing Christians who are now living in what is called, who are living in what is now called Turkey. Many of the followers of Christ have been born and raised in the community in which they reside. But because of their Christian faith, because they now believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, they are aliens, exiles, Peter says, strangers, even in their own community. Peter says they're paroikos, that's the Greek word for exiles, meaning that they're considered inferior to full citizens and therefore accorded only limited legal and societal rights. For example, these Christians, they are prohibited from voting. There are restrictions placed on them when it comes to marriage and to the inheritance of property and to commercial transactions. Their rights are being denied them and they are unjustly suffering because they are believers in Jesus Christ. So what should they do? How should they respond? St. Peter writes, if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was in his mouth. And when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Now, if there was ever a person who suffered unjustly, who had his civil rights removed, who who actually had his human rights violated, it is our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And yet, how did he respond? Well, he said to Peter, Peter, put your sword away, for he who lives by the sword will die by the sword. Jesus endured injustice without retaliation. When lies and false accusations were made against him, he remained composed. When one of the officials slapped Jesus in the face, he calmly looked at the official and asked, if I've said something wrong, then testify to what was wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? He even asked his father to forgive those who were executing him, who were abusing him. He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. That is his own father. Jesus kept his focus on the greater purpose for which he was experiencing this unjust suffering. Peter writes, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. Peter says in our text that Jesus is our model. (laughs) We're to follow in his footsteps when we're experiencing unjust suffering or suffering in general. And certainly the suffering that we're experiencing with this, with this coronavirus pandemic is not directly related to the fact that we're suffering because of our Christian faith. All people are suffering in many ways, and sometimes in some cases unjustly, or so they think. So the question is, how do we How is it possible for us to model ourselves after Jesus? How is it possible for us not to retaliate, to remain composed and calm in the face of suffering or unjust suffering? How do we find it within ourselves to forgive? How do we entrust ourselves into the Lord's hands as Jesus did? Well, to be quite frank, it isn't possible. Oh, we can imitate, imitate Jesus' conduct to a certain point, but due to our sin, it's impossible to reflect perfectly Jesus' behavior. And that's one of the reasons why we need Him to be our good shepherd, to be our Savior. For He died for those very sins. And yet, even though we cannot imitate him perfectly, because we are loved, because we are forgiven by Jesus Christ, because we do have the Holy Spirit now living in us by virtue of the fact that we've been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and his living and active word lives in us, we can entrust ourselves into the providential care of our Heavenly Father who judges justly. You see, our Lord will right all wrongs. St. Paul, writing to the Christians in Thessalonica, says, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled. St. James adds, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains? You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. And so we entrust ourselves 
into the hands of our loving, caring Father, our Creator, the one who provides us with all that we need, our daily bread, as we pray so often in the Lord's Prayer. He is the one who blesses us with family and friends and house and home and field and cattle, all the food we put on our table and into our refrigerators. He gives us all of these blessings. And we can entrust our care into His hands, even when we're experiencing suffering even unjust suffering. That's why St. Peter says later on in his epistle, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do so. And then he goes on to say, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he might lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And so as we experience suffering and unjust suffering, we can indeed entrust ourselves into the care and the love of of Him who judges justly. We can humble ourselves under His mighty hand and we cast all of our anxiety, all of our worries, all of our fears on Him because He truly cares for us. But we also entrust ourselves into the care of our Good Shepherd. The good shepherd, you know, the one who calls us to be his lambs. The good shepherd who knows each of us by name. The good shepherd who leads us, yes, even sometimes through the valley of the shadow of death, but he's leading us through it. He's walking with us. He's accompanying us through that. And as we go through those times, we listen to his voice. The good shepherd, you know, the one who guards and protects us from those who seek to destroy our faith. The good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep so that we might be forgiven of our sins. You know, the good shepherd who promises, I have come that you may have life and have life abundantly. Yes, we entrust ourselves in the face of unjust suffering or suffering to our good shepherd. We are his chosen ones. We are his own special possession. Once we had not received mercy, Peter says, but now we have received mercy. And Peter also adds, it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that we were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to us from our ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And so we entrust ourselves as Jesus' little lambs. We entrust ourselves into his loving care, even in the face of unjust suffering, knowing that he loves us, he cares for us, that he walks with us. And we entrust ourselves to the overseer of our soul. We have, St. Peter says in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, we have experienced a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our Lord promises to you and to me and all believers in Christ and an inheritance unlike any bequest that we will ever experience in this world, because the inheritance that God gives to us, that he has for us, will never perish, spoil, or fade. It's being guarded in heaven for us. So even though we endure all kinds of trials, we're still able, St. Peter says, to have an inexpressible and glorious joy, for we are receiving the goal of our faith, the salvation of our souls. And so we entrust ourselves, our daily life, into the hands of the one who has 
our eternal salvation in his hands. And we can trust him because he is our loving father. We can trust him because he's our savior, our good shepherd. We can trust him because he's the Holy Spirit who brought us to this new birth, this new relationship with the Lord through the waters of holy baptism and who keeps us strong in that faith through his word. And so when we are settled into this relationship with our Lord, where we are confident in his providential care, where we're sure that our good shepherd has care for us, when we are convinced that we are going to receive the most precious treasure of all, the salvation of our souls, then we will find it a little bit easier to be a little bit more like Christ in the face of unjust suffering and suffering itself. We'll find that the Spirit of the Lord is able to keep us a little bit more calm, a little more composed, less likely to retaliate, to be a little bit more forgiving, compassionate and patient, recognizing that there is a greater purpose to all of this than maybe what we can see, and the Lord will bring it about. He will still walk with us, and he'll see us through to the end. It's when we live in this kind of relationship with the Lord that we as the people of God can indeed relate in healthy ways to those around us. To those who are in authority over us, St. Peter writes in chapter 2, Submit yourselves, for the Lord's sake, to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors, who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. These words were written, of course, by St. Peter, as I noted just a moment ago. St. Peter himself would later be arrested by, the, by Nero, or under his authority anyways, and ultimately sentenced to death by crucifixion, upside down by Nero. And yet he speaks these words, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Oh, this is not to say that we are ever forbidden from expressing our disapproval with our governing leaders. St. Peter himself once said, it is, there is a time where we must obey God rather than men. But to submit ourselves to the governing leaders and the authorities over us is to respect the fact of the fourth commandment, honor your father and mother and all those who are placed in authority over you by God. And so it does mean that we are considerate and that we honor those who govern us, that we present our opinions respectfully, that if we do demonstrate that we demonstrate peacefully and in accord with the laws of the land, even when we may be of the opinion that our own rights are being violated. It means that, at least in this country, that we have the right to exercise our vote at some point to let our leaders know how we feel. But this is the way that God's people respond to suffering or unjust suffering, especially when it comes from outside or when it comes from those who govern over us. 
And how do we relate in the midst of unjust suffering or suffering to those who are around us, to our brothers and sisters in Christ and to our neighbors? Well, St. Peter writes in chapter 3 of this epistle, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers and sisters. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil for evil or insult for insult, but with blessing. And again, it's not to say that we won't have disagreements with other people that might even get heated, that some of us may take one position and others of us may take other, another position. But as we take these positions and as we dialogue and as we agree to disagree or even as we just disagree, the reality is that we treat each other with Christ-like love. We who are saved by God's grace are gracious. We who have received God's mercy are merciful. We who are the recipients of our Savior's compassion are compassionate. We who benefit from our Lord's patience are patient with one another. We who are on the receiving end of God's kindness are kind to one another. A friend of mine shared a thoughtful reflection on her Facebook page earlier this week, and it's been making the rounds uh, throughout, throughout the Facebook, so if you're on Facebook, you may have seen it. But in some ways, this thoughtful reflection reflects what St. Peter is trying, I think, to say to us as we relate to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, or even as we relate to our other neighbors around us. But it goes like this. As governments are trying to figure out how to ease back to the new normal, please remember, some people don't agree with the reopening. That's okay. Be kind. Some people are still planning to stay home. That's okay. Be kind. Some are still scared of getting the virus and a second wave happening. That's okay. Be kind. Some are sighing with relief that they can go back to work, knowing that they will not lose their business or their homes. That's okay. Be kind. Some are thankful that they can finally have a surgery, a medical or dental treatment that has been postponed indefinitely. That's okay. Be kind. Some will be able to attend interviews after weeks without a job. That's okay. Be kind. Some will wear masks for weeks. That's okay. Be kind. Some will rush out to get their hairs or their nails or their eyelashes, the waxing or tattoos done. That's okay. Be kind. The point is we can have different opinions, feelings, and fears, and that's okay. Be kind. We each have a different story. So if you need to stay home, stay home and be kind. If you need to go out, just respect others and keep your distance when in public and be kind. Don't judge others because you're not in their story. We are are all in different mental and emotional spaces than we were just a few short months ago, and we are all trying to adjust to our new reality. So remember, be kind. Be kind. Yes, we go through all kinds of suffering in this world, and some of it is even unjust. And yes, as we go through this coronavirus pandemic, there are many different positions that people take. 
as to whether they think we should shut the economy down still and live in isolation, social distancing and the whole bit, and there's others that say, let's just go back to what is normal. But through it all, as we experience this suffering and this unjust suffering, and as we experience differences of opinion, we as God's people approach these differences and we approach these unjust sufferings or sufferings always confident and trusting in our Lord. The Lord our God who judges justly. The one who provides and cares for all of our needs. We entrust ourselves to him. We entrust ourselves and our care into the hands of our good shepherd who knows us by name, who leads and guides us, who, who laid down his life for us and promises that we will have life and have it abundantly. And we entrust ourselves into the one who's the overseer of our soul, knowing that we are in possession of the greatest gift and treasure of all, and that is the salvation of our souls. And as we entrust ourselves into his hands, into our Lord's hands, then we can truly be kind, caring, compassionate, patient, and understanding with one another. And to my mind, that'll make us all that much stronger as individuals and as a nation and as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.